Well, we've already started with our message online last week about stepping into 2024 because our theme for the year is a year to step in. And I want to really encourage you this week to coming up to do the devotion that we're doing together as a church because what it's actually about is to help you get a word from God and a verse that will really help anchor your year. We do it as a church. We encourage people to do it individually. So just go to the webpage. You'll be able to find devotions and all the rest of it. If you're not sure, one of us will definitely help you. But our theme for this year is to step in to 2024. And we have taken a key verse out of the book of Joshua. And in February, we're going to start a new series looking through aspects of the book of Joshua about possessing God's promises. But in Joshua 1 and verse 3, it says, God promises, I will give you every place where you'll set your foot as I have promised. And that's why we're talking about it being a year of consciously, deliberately stepping into things. And one of the first things we need to do is to step into the new year. And what I've got to say today is probably not going to be new to anybody. Don't leave, please. Don't turn off yet. But really, it's just to remind us of some key things that can anchor our year and set it up to be a great year in God. To remind you of some things, to remind myself of some things. And obviously, the most important thing is the decision at the beginning of this year to put God first. Even if you did it last year, it's good to refresh that commitment. Nothing in today's message or next week's or the week after in setting this up is about making promises. But it's about making quality decisions and commitments and saying, God, with your help, I'm going to look to put you first in all that I do. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 33. Most of us are familiar with verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But it's good to remind yourself of the context. And Jesus says, so do not worry. So do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And I want you to notice that connection between Jesus saying, don't be anxious about the things He's not saying ignore them. It's not that we don't pay attention to them. It's not that we don't plan. But he said, don't get anxious about the things because if you get the one thing right, the other things will flow out of that. If you want to overcome anxiety, one of the key things, one of the anchor points is to put God first, to make him Lord of your life, your circumstances, your choices. And that's at the very heart of what Jesus is saying here. And we do often get caught up with anxiety and anxiety usually makes us make bad or poor decisions. 
He says, don't worry about all that. If you can get this big thing, this big rock right, the other things will find its place and you'll be able to walk them out. So do not be anxious. Do not worry, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put God first and all these other things will be added to you. And the whole of scripture basically is founded on that principle of God encouraging us, inviting us, challenging us to put him first in all that we do. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God says to them, this is Exodus 20, verse 2 to 3. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. And you think if you just experienced that dramatic a deliverance, just remember, if you're not familiar with the story, there's plagues that judge Egypt, forcing Pharaoh to eventually let the children of Israel go. They get trapped at the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts, and they look behind them and their enemies drown as they try to pursue them. Pharaoh doesn't want to give up his slaves easily. And you think, well, nobody would need to be reminded that if God has delivered you with that many miracles, with that many dramatic events, surely you wouldn't forget. Surely you wouldn't be drawn to other gods, to other things. But this is where the reminder comes in. God says, just remember, I I was the one who saved you. I was the one who set you free. I'm the one who's working in your life. My son laid down his life for you. Don't go chasing off to the other things. And we may not bow before pagan idols, but they are the gods of materialism and other things that demand our attention, try to steal us away. And God says, no, no, remember, I'm your provider. I'm your deliverer. I'm your saviour. Don't have any of these other gods. The very heart of salvation comes to this declaration out of the book of Romans, where the Apostle Paul says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And sometimes we get drawn to Jesus as Saviour, but we don't really like the Lord. But I want the forgiveness I want the clear conscience. I want the promise of eternal life. But I wrestle with the Lord. But salvation begins with that declaration. Jesus is Lord. And then if I believe in my heart and confess that, I'm saved. There's all that God has accomplished in Christ through his death and resurrection is made available. Confession of Jesus as Lord means that I belong to him, that you belong to him, and that we're willing to submit to him. And I wish at times it was just as simple as that, but we wrestle with some of the decisions where we kind of, out of anxiety sometimes, hang on to areas and say, well, I think I need to fix this before I trust you with this, Jesus. 
you know, all of those little things they nuanced and the struggle to hand stuff over and hand ourselves over. Paul says later in Romans 14 and verse 8, and he's talking in the context of persecution and struggle that the early church faced. He says, if we live, it's to honour the Lord. And again, emphasis, the Lord, the Lord. And if we die, it's to honour the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And so this big rock that we need to settle, and it's an ongoing thing in our lives, is to say, no, Jesus is Lord of my life. I submit to him. I belong to him. I believe and I trust he has my life and my times in his hand. Because through his sacrifice and then resurrection, Paul says in this great anthem in Philippians, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow and every... I'm going to read that again. Lost my place, got too excited. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you'll notice it's pretty obvious in the verses that I'm just exhorting us and encouraging us with, this ongoing thing, he is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. The question is, is he really Lord over all that you are and all that you have? And that's the rub. That's the struggle sometimes. That's the, you know, can I really trust him? Can I really hand it over? What will be ha- what will happen to me if I just say, Lord, do anything in my life? But a God that loves you as much as he does can only have the best for you. You see, on the cross, and this is where this challenge to make Jesus Lord comes from, not from just some kind of demand, but by the demonstration of how much he loves us. And I love the Apostle Paul's confession in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's talking about this yielded, submitted life. He says, I've died to myself. I've died to my ambitions. My ambition is Christ and what he has for me. I'm being crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith. Who would just say by faith? And that's, I live by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Can you see what inspires Paul's dedication to the Lordship of Jesus? He said, I know that this is the one who loved me and laid down his life for me. It's not just the broad statement of John 3, 16, that God so loved the world. This is now personal revelation. Paul saying, he loves me. He died for me. And because of that, I can trust him. Because I know his love towards me, his sacrifice towards me. And therefore, I'll put him first. As I mentioned, um, Linda's out of town. But on the 31st of January, just in a few weeks' time, we celebrate 43rd wedding anniversary. Yep. St. Linda. Freely acknowledge it. St. Linda. But I still remember our wedding day. I still remember 43 years ago, almost, when Linda walked down the aisle to get this prize. (laughs) And at the time, it's a lot more now, but it was about 3.5 billion guys she could have chose. Chose me. And in her vows, she in effect said, Sean, you're the man. I said, I am. <laughs> There's a bit of flight of fancy going on here, but I'm trying to make a point. <laughs> You're my first choice. And I wonder how it would have been if I'd replied, well, Linda, at about 3.5 billion women, you're about second or third. Now, come on. Don't judge me so harshly. Second or third out of 3.5 billion is not bad. But in a covenant relationship, it's not good enough. In a covenant relationship, it's not good enough. And I wouldn't have survived the rest of the ceremony if I had said something like that. And that's God's appeal to us of putting him first. He says to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 40, don't fool around with other gods, the gods of your neighbours, because God, your God, who is alive among you, is a jealous God. And it's not jealousy in the sense of angry, envy, controlling This is a God who loves us so much and wants the best for us. He says, I don't want anything else to mess this relationship up. I need you to trust me because I love you. I need you to trust me because my son laid down his life for you. He demonstrated love. I I need you to have confidence that I've only got the best in mind for you when I ask for you to put me first. And the principle of first is a powerful biblical concept. The order of things is important. And what we prioritize, what we do first, impacts everything else. What we do first 
can either undermine everything in our lives or from a biblical perspective, it can bless everything in our lives. The principle of first. And so to a church recorded for us in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2, verse 2 to 4, and you can read the whole message that Jesus has. There's seven churches. He says something to each one of them. But to this, and notice the starting point. He said, I know your deeds, your hard work. Lists a few other things. He's not criticizing them for not serving, for not being there. He said, I know how hard you're working. I know your deeds, I can see them. Yet I have this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Every time I read that, I get so challenged. You can run around serving, not around doing things, but at the heart of it, you've forsaken. And, and people talk about losing first love. He actually says you left it. You forsook it. Doing stuff became more important than knowing me, loving me, being in my presence. And he's not telling them not to do the things. He's just saying, you need to get the priority. What I want more than anything is your love, your heart. And following Jesus, being his disciple, is a whole lot easier when you love him you're not just legalistically serving him. Without the love, it becomes legalism. It becomes obligation. It becomes, and I use duty in the negative sense. Well, I'm only doing it out of duty. I, my heart's not really here. So the whole priority of first love. And rather than feeling guilty or anything, because that's not what I'm trying to put on anybody, it's just say, Holy Spirit, Right now, soften my heart. Right now, just awaken me anew and afresh to what it means to just love Jesus. What we do on, or sorry, what we do first in a day sets up the day. We're talking about prayer and scripture reading. And I understand, you know, you've got getting kids ready for school work and everything, sometimes it's crazy. This is not about judgment. This is not about guilt. This is about saying, well, how do I find space in the busyness of a schedule, in all that I'm doing to at least give Jesus the first 15 minutes, reading a verse. And, and that's one of the reasons we, we encourage you to join us in the devotional thing because it's accessible, it's doable, and it follows some of the themes that we're preaching on of saying, well, in the car, once I've dumped the kids, I mean, put the kids out for school, I'm going to try and remember just to pray a, play a worship song as I'm rushing to the next thing. It's about just finding that space to invite Jesus into your life. And I want to say I have enormous respect and compassion for mums with younger kids exhausted trying to find the space to do this. And that's why I'm stressing. This is not about guilt. It's trying to find somewhere where you can just be in his presence. And that's for all of us as well.
The psalmist says in Psalm 5 and verse 3, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. It's like he's saying, God, this is what my day is all about. And now I'm going to have a look out and see what you're going to do. Well, what are you going to come up with in my life in this day? What, what we do first in our week, Sunday, sets up the whole week. And whether you online watching this or you're here in the auditorium, you, you've making a choice to set up your week. Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the, the day the early church gathered because that was the resurrection Sunday. Shabbat, the Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday night was the old. This is now the new. Jesus is risen. And I'm going to put him first. They gathered on the first day of the week. In Acts 20 verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people. What we give first, our tithes and our offerings, has the ability to set up and bless the rest of our finances and material things. And Paul encourages the church at Corinth. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. And I don't want to make this about giving per se. I'm just talking about what do we do to set up the rest of our lives, the rest of our finances. It's by giving what is first, prioritizing. That giving is not an afterthought, but it's God, this belongs to you. And he's talking about here yeah, a weekly thing, but we get paid differently now, fortnightly, all the rest of it. It's the principle that my giving to the Lord is the first thing I consider, not the afterthought. And I know for some that that's a challenge right now. And you're going to need to wrestle with this. And I want you to do it without guilt. I want you to say, Lord, just lead me, just guide me, help me take this step of faith to put you first in my finances. Because in the book of Malachi, where it talks about this, Malachi 3 and verse 10, I'm giving the guys on the team a heart attack, so I'm jumping over some things. <laughs> he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to test says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there's no more need and I will rebuke the devourer for you, says the Lord of hosts. God actually makes an accusation against the people of the day. They says, you, you are stealing from me. You just think of this, what a dumb thing to do, to steal from the all-knowing, all-seeing God. And they go, oh, they're indignant. You read the whole con. How, how dare you accuse us of stealing from you? He says, this is how you're doing it. You're not putting me first in your finances. 
But what's remarkable about this verse is God is kind of saying, the giving of the 10th is a test for you. But as you do it, you can test my faithfulness. I'm testing you to see if you're going to put me first. But you can test me to see whether I'm going to bless the rest. Cain and Abel. First principle of recorded offerings and giving. In Genesis, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. And I've heard a whole lot of things about this and one was a blood sacrifice, the other wasn't. But if you look at the Old Testament offerings, there was wheat and different things that could be offered. I don't think it's got anything to do with that at all. The hint of why Cain's offering wasn't acceptable is in that little phrase, in the course of time. It's kind of saying Cain as an afterthought. Said, here, God, here's something for you. Whereas of Abel, it says he brought from the firstborn. He brought what was first. Before anything else, he said, the firstborn things are dedicated to God. The whole issue that first blesses everything else in the kingdom of God. And at the end of the day, God doesn't need our stuff. He wants our hearts. And that's at the very heart of what this is about, of us just going, Lord, as I step into 2024, as I have a whole year ahead of me, I just want to take a little bit of time to put you first, to remind myself that I need to put you first. And if you're struggling with it, Lord, help me to put you first. We're going to take a moment to do that as we come around communion in just a few moments to put you first. But I come back just to remind us that salvation, receiving God's gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness is extended to us the instant we put Jesus first. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And perhaps you're here this morning and you haven't done that. You've never taken that moment and said, Jesus, you are Lord. I acknowledge you as Lord. And I believe in my heart. See, this is not just words disengaged from the heart. It's heart and words, words and heart. You believe in your heart, but you've confessed with your mouth. You've said it to him. You've said it. Jesus, your Lord, my Lord. Then you're saved.
You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You receive it.